לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. dozens and dozens and dozens of people celebrating together and this year we just put up a small prefab and let people take turns uh, by family pod by family pod and it's just it's a little sad different different Barry how about you um it's been good I think the weather's been good for the most part although we had a little rain today um but as Jeremy said it's small we don't have hardly any guests we just had a couple last Friday night for the first night. We'll have some more for Shmini Yatsara. We try and eat in the sukkah on Shmini Yatsara when we can. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of lonely. I guess this year we depend on the Ushpizin more than other years because uh, the physical guests don't show up. Well, what's it like in Highland Park? Highland Park, I, I built a little sukkah, a little sukkah, <laughs> a, a tiny sukkah outside my kitchen, a, a two-seater. It's, it was actually very, very cute. I usually have a larger sukkah, and, and of course, the same thing. You know, we're so used to seeing so many people and being with people. It's such a, a community holiday. Uh, but, you know, so we get to enjoy Hashem all by ourselves, I guess, in our little, in little spaces. Well, it's still better than the years when it rains for most of Sukkot, and you can't need it anyway. So, so speaking of Ushpizin, we want to welcome our, our many, many virtual guests into this. You know, it's, it, we have a, a, a confined space on the screen here, the virtual sukkah, uh, and uh, we're so honored to have you. We're getting lovely comments. We had a lovely uh, uh, comment this past week from, from a couple of people. We, we, we love having it, and uh, I'm getting many suggestions that we should start creating t-shirts and mugs. Uh, and getting people to write in. And, you know, one of these days we're going to raffle off and send you uh, a, the Parsha talk. It'll look like this. It'll be three Jewish men in boxes on a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, actually, actually, here's a good idea. We should let people send in questions. There you go. That's a good That'd idea. Be fun. So send us your questions. To any of us, you'll find us on the web. You know, I don't want to have to give you our emails now. You know where we are on Facebook, etc. If you have questions, we're happy to talk about them because soon we're going to go into a new cycle of the Torah. And that's what we're going to talk about in our, our Parsha talk this morning. But first, before we get there, let's just take a, a moment reflecting on the upcoming holiday, Shemini Atzeret Simchas Torah. Shemini Atzeret, free association. I'm going to start with you, Barry Chesler. Shemini Atzeret. Good enough. It's enough. <laughs> So I like the Midrash where 
We have the 70 sacrifices on the days of Sukkot that go from 13 to 7, and they represent for the rabbis the nations of the world. Sukkot is a universal holiday of Thanksgiving, and Shemini Aseret is the day after just for us. We're God's chavivim, special people. At least that's the mythos of the chosen people. And so we stick around for an extra day to bask in the divine glory. And that's what Shemini Aseret is all about. How about you, Jeremy? That's also the only one I got for Shmini Atzeret. Shmini Atzeret, like, it's Chag Bifnei Atzmo, it's Regal Bifnei Atzmo, it's its own, it's not, it is and is not the end of of Sukkot. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to say that working in the synagogue rabbinate, um, there's, there's a little feeling of, like, limping home through the through the end of the holidays. Shmini Atzeret, ask me, ask me. Elliot, what do you feel like Shemini Yatzer is all about? Shemini Yatzer, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a precious holiday. For me, first of all, personally, I gave my senior sermon on Shemini Yatzer. So, so I remember it. it was a big, Unterberg. Unterberg Auditorium. It was a big, big moment. Big moment in my life. And I, every year, I, I I go back to that moment. You know, I don't know how it is for you guys and your senior sermons, but, but I, I often joke about the fact that every week I'm reliving my bar mitzvah. And every Shemini Atzeret, I'm reliving <laughs> my senior sermon because this was the part. This was, I spoke about the Haftarah, and and obviously the Haftarah of Shemini Atzeret, just to, to orient everyone, it's the culmination of the dedication of the Temple, Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem. It's a, it's a magnificent moment, a tremendous moment in in history of biblical Israel, where we're finally, and I have it open here, where Shlomo Amalek stands in front of everybody and says, "Kol Gadol, I love it, Kol Gadol." Baruch Adonai Asher Yisrael, which we also quote on in a Shabbat, one of the Shabbat Mirot. You know, blessed is God who has given rest to the people. And that idea that you're home, the idea that all the travels are over and that we are now established is a very, very powerful theme. Not only that, but then at the end, it's your heart should be whole. And there's a great convocation, the great celebration. And on the eighth day, Solomon sends everybody home. Smechim v'tove lev. Happy and good of heart. Al kol Yisrael All the good that God has given to David and to Israel. It's just this remarkable moment. I think it's a moment that is never replicated in, in all of biblical history. And I think it's getting, it gets short shrift because of all the different feelings of the day. The other thing is in the synagogue life, and, and I think you can relate to this, the, the Yisker on Shemini Yatzeret has a deep, a deep resonance in the sense of, you know, it's over. The whole season is over. And, and this is, we're getting to this point more. And I always find that, that speaking before Yisker on Shemini Yatzeret is, is just a little more emotional. Um, and, and, and especially because, you know, some of the themes in this Haftorah, you know, there's longing here. It's a sense that Solomon is longing for his father. He's longing for the person that he wants to show this to who is no longer alive. And that, that really represents a, the great pathos of this day, I think. You know, I, 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 first of all, I, I, love, I love the Haftorah. I love the whole chapter. And, and if our readers, if our listeners... Uh, you know, we read the beginning of the chapter, beginning of First Kings chapter eight on on the second day of Sukkot, and we read the the, the tail end of it on uh, 
Shmini Yatzeret, but you also skip a lot, and the 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 whole prayer of Shlomo is just it's a tremendous, tremendous. This is chapter eight of Kings one. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous chapter, and I, I recommend people giving it giving it a look. Um, but it's it's interesting to me that, that you talk about that. You know, we've attained the rest, and we have we've arrived, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as the day goes, as our call goes on, and we talk about the function of Simchat Torah. As, as, a, as an end and also a beginning, uh, that, that stasis of we've arrived, I would say that that's not actually one of Judaism's great modes. I think that our, Judaism's great modes tend to be the impossibility of thinking you've arrived and being on the perpetual journey. And so the fact that, that our chapter is a huge triumph that Shlomo has built the Ben HaMikdash, but it, it's also true that We've inherited a, a Tanakh that, and 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 the themes of the Chumash itself and the Tanakh broadly are about exile and about not having arrived and Chorban. So, so there is this moment of success, but it's also it's also packaged for us in a context of, of Galut and Chorban. Well, that's so. Oh, go ahead, Barry. It's worth comparing Sukkot here with Pesach. Pesach is a universal holiday. I think probably more Jews observe Pesach, certainly than Sukkot, but perhaps more than any other holiday. And there in the Torah, people go home on the second day, right? You could turn and go home after you've made your Korban Pesach on the first day and return to your home. But the sense of completeness, I think that Shemini Yatserah maintains is that it makes Sukkot, the seven days of Sukkot, a complete holiday. You're in Jerusalem, at least the theory goes, for the entire week, and only then can you go home. And even though we no longer travel on Yontif, halakhically speaking at least, we have this idea that it's a day when we can go home because we've spent our appropriate time in, in mythic Jerusalem for the week of Sukkot, and now Shemini Yatzeret is really the home holiday, the counterpoint to the first seven days. And it provides, at least for me, I think, a nice sense of completion. And perhaps that's why I have always liked eating in the sukkah on Shemini Yatzeret when we can, to make that tangible connection with Sukkot. Which is, which is a custom, I, I suppose. I, I don't know the, the intricacies of it. Of course, you know, observed in some areas and, and not in others. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly the idea of, of reaching something and then and then saying goodbye to it, that, that, of course, is part of the wistfulness of the holiday. I would just add one little asterisk to what you were saying, Jeremy, which is, you know, uh, it, it's very quick after chapter eight in the Book of Kings that things go really, you know, downhill for, for Solomon personally and, and then for the kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of Israel. Solomon, you know, uh, it's pointed out that, that he... He, he spends a certain number of years building the temple and then having completed that, having given, you know, the, the greatest piece of, of construction and architecture to Jerusalem, he has to surpass it with his own palace. And there's a sense of emptiness. And then what is seldom related to and is how corrupt, not corrupt, but he, he, he turns to idolatry. He marries thousands of women. He, becomes uh, less than whole. Um, and there, there is a decline that sets in almost immediately after, after the kingdom that leads to, to exile. So in this sense, you know, this moment represents the, 
the highest achievement of, of, of biblical Israel. And then what happens after they get exiled and return, they, Ezra rebuilds the temple. It's nowhere near as grand as uh, Solomon's temple. Uh, and, and we're looking back to that. I think that, that it leaves a certain kind of moment, which, which is part of the, the tension, the great, I think, pathos of, of reading uh, these stories. I, I, that's why I feel it very deeply. We, we achieve a certain point in life where we reach the pinnacle, and then you say, then what? You know? <laughs> I, like, I like this because, for, for the reasons that I alluded to before, um, I, I can relate more to a religious dynamism of, you know, advancing and retreating, you know, Ratsova Shov, it's always, it's always surging forward and falling backwards. It's Adam Nikra Mehalech, so the, so the, the Hasid, Hasidic tradition, a person's always in motion. You never, you never arrive. And so the, the religious, in, in a sense, we've got this religion that grew up over these centuries with, with an ambivalent sense of sacred place. So if, if there's one building, it's stable, but it isn't. But the reality of religious life is that it's not always stable. Not stable, very. So the danger for the person who has arrived is trying to hold on to what he's... Exactly. What he's achieved. And yeah. that's why sometimes it's better not to have arrived because then you don't have that problem. Well, you, you know, have nothing to worry about what you lose. So the, we were mentioning Rabbi Milton Steinberg, the famous rabbi of the Society of Advancement Jew. He has a, has a wonderful sermon called To Hold With Open Arms, which is, you know, to, to you hold on to something so, so, so tightly, but you also have to let it go. And that's, that, he says, is the, is the great religious dynamic. I think that that's reflective in what you're saying, Jeremy, and also what you're saying, Barry. So let's go ahead. So we, we don't quite let it go because right after Shemini Yatzeret and the Galut, we have Simchat Torah, which we celebrate as a separate holiday, except for Kiddush and the Amidah. Um, so it's interesting. So we have our moment, and then we have this grand celebration. So yeah, that's, that's a good way to, to transition into Simchus Torah here. And also the, the content of, of Simchus Torah. Let's talk about the, you know, it's the only time that we read Vizot Bracha other than, you know, the mornings of the week before. But it's the time that we read this as a separate Parsha, uh, not on Shabbat, right? Vizot Bracha is never read on Shabbat. We are reading the last Parsha of the Torah. And, mm -hmm. and again, you know, um, I have to say, sometimes I get very emotional when I read this Parsha. We, we've had this, you know, we, we've been living with Moshe, we've been living with B'nai Israel for months now, and here it is. This is the culmination of, of the journey. Moshe doesn't get to go in. It's, it, we talked about this last time, you know, that, that it's, it's a constant reminder. You're, you, you're not going in, and Moshe dies. And, and of course, I, you know the Midrashic tradition of Moshe, Moshe's death. Moshe wants to hold on to life to the very end. He doesn't want to let go at all, at all. Um, and, and Moshe emerges, of course, as the, the great lover of life and, and, and something more in this. I don't know, how, how do you, you know, like to reflect on, on the conclusion? Jeremy, I'm going to turn to you with some, some ideas, you know, that, that come to us from the end of the... Of, of the Torah. There's a, uh, a rabbinic statement. I, I don't actually remember where this appears, but there's a rabbinic statement that Moses, these final 12 verses about his death, that Moses wrote them uh, 
bedima, and I and I think to, that that could be interpreted in two ways. Moses wrote them in tears, meaning he wrote them while crying, or he wrote it in tears. the The material on his pen was his tears, as he inscribed the last twelve verses that 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 describe his own death. And there was, you know, there was never another one like Moses who, who arose in Israel, whom God knew face to face. And the people and the people weeping for him. This is a true end of the generation. And, um, and it's a it's a an overwhelming feeling of because the, the you know, it, it's totally conceivable that the Torah would have continued on into the book of Joshua, right? Like you could totally have imagined that we have not a, a five books of Moses, but a six books of Moses, and that the Torah would, would itself describe the people's entry into the land. It never does. We are always left at the end of the journey looking across to an unattainable future. And, and we start again at Breshi. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that is just a super powerful, inspiring uh, reality that we're always on the journey. We're never about arriving. And, and you know, Kol, this is a poem by Rachel. Uh, uh, the, the, poet, the poet Rachel, who actually, this is actually on her grave at, 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 at uh, I guess, Deganya or wherever it is in, in the Galil. Kol ish unnevolo, everybody has his own nevo. Everybody is headed towards death. And so that the first bit of Simchat Torah, Moses' elegy, his climbing the mountain, the tears that he writes at the end, and then we go back to Breshi. We'll talk about that and, and you know, elaborate, but Barry, tell us your thoughts. End of- so I, I love that phrase, Asher lo yada o panim el panim, that no one else knew God face to face. I think that sometimes when we think about death, we think about meeting God face to face. But what the Torah here reminds us is that what's important is not death, but life. That even though the Torah concludes with the death of Moshe, it's really the life of Moshe that's so important to us. It's not his death. He has no place to mark his grave because he's not going to become an object of veneration in the way that saints or Hasidic rabbis did in the in Europe, or even some places in Aristotle. In, in Queens. <laughs> that too. Um, well, that's where the Messiah is. Um, and I think that Moses, what's so beautiful about Moses is his relationship with God in this world, right? It's God who buries him, at least in the tradition. And he walks with God to the very end. But, you know, I, the other thing that I keep coming up against is that it says that he's buried mul beit pa'or, right? He's buried against the house of pa'or, where the greatest sin of the wilderness generation took place. And, you know, we spoke a week or two ago about God not being able to let go. And this is, you know, one of the last verses of the Torah. And as the word of God, it's God not letting go. That Moses can't go into that night gently. So but, I, 
I, I want to, um, you know, that, that the text that, that is moving to me is Vayar Ehu Adonai at Kola Aretz, that this happens exactly as you say, Barry, with, with, with a great sense of partnership, that God shows Moses the land, God's self, himself, right? That, that there is the understanding that Moses is not going to go in, uh, but the consolation that Moshe will get is this panoramic view. And, and to me, it always uh, conjures up, a, uh, you know, this, this um, picture in my imagination that, that God is yanking Moshe up and, and Moshe sees everything. There's a wonderful a- anecdote. Shimon Peres, uh, talks about his memory of Ben-Gurion before Ben-Gurion passed away and that there was this final helicopter ride that Ben-Gurion took uh, shortly before he passed away. And, and it was a panoramic uh, helicopter journey from north to south. He lived in the Negev and, and he, he, they, they took him all the way to, I guess at that point, it would have been the Golan. And, and he got to see the entire land. And it was a great moment that, that you know, um, Ben-Gurion, who was the colossal figure, um, who got to see everything. And the question I always have in my imagination is what is Moshe seeing at this point? And that's really not the important question. It's what's transpiring between God and Moshe. And when you read the last you know, half of the verse, it says, here's where Lazarachayat, and now I promised the, this, the land to, your, to our ancestors. Heriticha beinecha, I showed it to your eyes, v'shamalotavor, and there you're not going, which exactly is what you were saying, Barry. He was like, God's not going to let it go, but... You know, it's all in the delivery. It's all in the way you intone the verse. And and I want to read this. I want to give a, a, a thick layer of drash here and say that God is saying it with tears. God is saying it with emotion. The Shama Lotavor is like, did I do the right thing by telling you not to go? Am I, you can't, I'm, I'm, I'm forced to hold on to my decree over you and it pains me, but I'm going to say it anyway. It raises a question. Do we think of Moses as being happy at the end? So in Pirkei Avot, it asks the question, So Moses doesn't have a chalak in the land. He doesn't have a portion in the land. His chalak is the image of the promised land. And when you were talking about Ben-Gurion, I was reminded, if you go to Stabokar, um, there's that great sign of the vision that Ben-Gurion had for the Negev. And I'm always struck when I see it because that vision hasn't changed in 60 years since Ben-Gurion returned to Stabokar because the Negev never developed quite the way that he imagined it. But an image is ripe with possibility and promise that the promised land is not just the land that Joshua will lead the people into that they were will tread with their feet, but it's an image that we can have of the future, and Moses gets that even at death. So in a sense, to lay a, a thick drash on as well, it's a life after death because the image is preserved. Negev, Negev is the region of the future and has been since 1948, is what I'm saying, <laughs> Well, I was I was recently in the I was back in January, 
And it was, it's beautiful. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. But I, I want to say for a second about, you know, is, is Moshe happy? Um, you know, I, I, um, maybe, maybe the answer to that, that question is that Moshe is like all human beings unfulfilled. And maybe Shlomo has this moment of, of, you know, at, at the at the apex of his life and the apex of his achievement, and Moshe has has had these things as well, um, but th- that that aspect of being unfulfilled and and uh, the journey, you know, ending before it's before it's really completed, I just that strikes me as such powerfully such a powerfully human message that I really I relate to its tragic quality. Tragic tragic doesn't necessarily mean you know, bad. It just means painful in the reality of the, the conflict between. It's sad, you know, not bad. Sad, not bad. And um, and I would to say another comment about you know the three of us who who live in this incredibly rich uh, American Jewish community, diaspora community. Uh, you know, since the since Chorban Bayit Rishon. Since the Assyrian conquest in the eighth century BCE, you know, to be Jewish meant to have a sense of exile. And in the 20th century, this amazing thing has happened, wonderful in so many ways, the return of, uh, of our people to its ancestral homeland. But I also think that, that if, the, if, if Judaism, broadly speaking, has a very productive dialectic of, you know, homeland and exile, you know, homeland and diaspora, the, the, the single place that we love and care about and the, the traveling and the portable homeland that is the Torah and the portable homeland that is Hebrew, um, all, all those things. In our contemporary Jewish life, I think that, that the, the great success of Israel has robbed us a little bit of the dynamism of that productive sense of, of diaspora, productive sense of gola. And, you know, American Jews, needless to say, feel so at home in America, maybe we've also lost for a different reason that sense of, of productive exile. But to me, the Torah ending in one chapter with saying, you can see the possibility, you can't attain it. And then the very next chapter or two more chapters that we read is the exile from, from Gan Eden. You know, because that's, that's the very beginning of the next book, the, 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 the re-resumed book, is also a sense of exile, a different kind of exile that is also profoundly human. There are two contrasting views of exile. So the exile from Ganadin is exile from home. But the lesson of Moshe, perhaps, is that you can't find home in the exile. That we see them as being attention, um, the, the land in Galut, but as you suggest, Jeremy, it could be a, a very fruitful dialectic. And the other thing that we sometimes lose sight of is that you can be at, in exile at home as well. Indeed. So let, let's just talk about the connection between the end of the Torah and the beginning of the Torah, which is, of course, what we, what we do celebrate on Simchus Torah. And I want to explore with the two of you the the symbolism of that, that and, and ask you to, to share your interpretation of the symbolism. I have you know, my interpretation as well. So, so we'll all have our, our, our shot here at this. Uh, what wants to go with that? Well, you know, Jeremy, we'll start. We'll, I'll, I'll, just take, I'll just take one little observation, which is that the first letter of the Torah is a bet and the last letter of the Torah is a lamed. So it's lev. 
it's uh it's right that's when we read it from end to beginning that's right from from end to beginning you get heart yeah that's beautiful um so so i feel like simchat torah for me represents both you know like a holiday and the singing and the dancing and stuff but when it really works for me on a spiritual level, it is about this inexhaustible journey of, you know, a really thrilling intellectual spiritual journey of study. Uh, that's one of the things I love about this religion is that it is an extremely intellectual. It thinks that the stuff that goes on in your mind yeah. is of profound importance and you can understand something about what it is to be a human being and what it is to live in God's world. So th- that's that's the, the thrilling part about studying Torah for me. So I think of geometry, and um, one image that we have is of the circle of life, which is endless and frankly pagan, but the view of the Torah is of a spiral, not a circle. So we can look at the point we've been before, but we're at a different level because a year has passed. And what I like is that we keep going, and we, as we get older, we add a year to our memories, a year to our, our life. And the Torah continues to enrich us because it only has 70 faces if you only live 70 years. But if you live beyond 70, it continues to shine its countenance upon us. And there are infinite faces to the Torah because it really is our tree of life. It sustains us as we move forward. So so I, I keep thinking of, of Simba's Torah as the one of the great, moments in Jewish life. I, 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 I'm never, uh, it never ceases to, to fill me with a sense of, uh, of joy and, and a whole palette of emotions. Uh, that moment that the, the, the Torah is over um, is, is almost like um, a moment of great tension. We, we can't exist in a moment without Torah. We have to start the Torah again. And I don't know how it, how it is with you and your shuls, you know, where, at what point do you put the children in, in the, and of course that's not going to happen this year, but, you know, in my shul, we do it, we do, we do the children at the, with Breshit. Some shuls do it with, 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 um, at the end, um, the Kol Hanarim Aliyah. Um, but I, it always strikes me as that, that this is the ritual that gets everything right that Torah is completed, Torah is starting up, we have the next generation in, right in front and center, and here we are conveying in the most graphic terms possible the eternity of the Jewish people, the continuity of the Jewish people. I always like to take one of the older members of the shul and make the older member the Chatan Torah, and the children, you know, as the, you know, together being the Breshit, because it, it does reflect that continuity. And the idea that Torah never stops symbolizes the eternity of, of Kal Yisrael, of the people. It's, it, and, and while I love what you said, Jeremy, in terms of you know, the intellectual tradition, I certainly concur with that. I think that it's also about the continuity of, of Jewish peoplehood, that, that there's something that's being touched here that is beyond expression. You know, the singing, the dancing, the joy, of, of simple story is not because we're all, we all love to study, but let's be honest. It's because we love being Jews. I don't know. 
Barry, you said something early before, and, and it was the simple story, there's birth, there's death, and there's marriage. I want you to expand on that for our viewers. <laughs> so the, the question is, what kind of image do we think of when we get to the end of the Torah, which we do with the death of Moses, and very shortly thereafter, we begin the Torah again, it's a rebirth. But the symbolism that we use on Simchat Torah, we call a Chatan Breshit, and a, well, Chatan Torah, and then a Chatan Breshit, because the symbol of Simchat Torah is of marriage. And we were talking before about liminal moments, these great moments of transition, and three great moments of transition in the lives of most people are birth, death, and marriage. But with birth, we don't know where we came from, and with death, we don't know where we're going. So the the real symbol for us is that of marriage, which has both a, a beginning and a before and an after, shall we say. And Simchat Torah fuses those two together. So it's the eternal present, in a sense. And that's what I think those of us who are married hope that a marriage is as well, an eternal present, even though we know that we're bound by the finitude of human life. Yeah. You know, there's a... Uh... Uh, Elliot, before before the call began, you you mentioned that common phrase quoted out of Zohar tradition, Yisrael ve'oraita v'kud shabrichu chadhu, that there's a unity of God, Torah, and Israel, and uh, it's it's beautiful phrase. There's another one in the in the Zohar tradition also, which which I really like, which is that Israel is the wick, the Torah is the oil, and God is the flame. That that uh, you know Israel is this physical manifestation which draws its capacity for for burning from the torah and it produces a sacred flame of the presence of god and that that to me is is uh, it's it, it is of course what you said about the continuity of the jewish people the the kohan Arim, and we, we do as many shuls do you know i have the kids in the center of the room and we unspool a whole a whole safer torah around them and so it's totally beautiful but but it is also the um, the encounter of the people with the the oil that makes the flame that makes the flame eternal. So it's so fascinating, and, and of course our time is running out. But so the three of us have three different valence points to to this whole experience, and of course we share. I mean, we all agree with each other on on the other interpretations. You know, Barry, it's it's the the, the weddedness of the people with the Torah, the weddedness of the people with God that inspires the, the, the explosion of, of um, emotion, the joy. It's a, it's a wedding type joy. And for Jeremy, for you, it's, it's that the, the spiritual linkage between God, Torah, and Israel that, that is the, the source of, of joy um, reflected, you know, in, in the imagery that you uh, cited. And and for me, it's it's the continuity of the people. It's a peoplehood holiday, and, and you see all of these 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 strands are are, are totally woven together here. I think, and it's such a beautiful totally. way that the um, totally. you know the simcha of Simcha's Torah is is so has so many dimensions to it. Uh, uh, these deep dimensions of of eternity, of continuity, spirituality, the the center of Torah in in our lives, the joy of of starting again, starting renewal. I think that this is this is the real Rosh Hashanah. This is also where where the story gets to begin again. 
And our story will begin again, too. We will be back. It's hard to say this, but we will be back next week with, with Breshit. Shabbat Breshit. This oh, is that's unbelievable. Awesome. Uh, and it's been such a joy. We have it's such a joy to to share Torah, share thoughts with um now we're up to like 15 viewers. It's amazing. <laughs> we want to wish everyone excellent viewers. They're awesome viewers. They're awesome. We love you all. We want to wish every single one of you a beautiful, beautiful Simchas Torah, Shmini Atzeres. Enjoy it. God is going to give us beautiful weather, hopefully. And uh, it will round out uh, what has been a complicated time and give us just a little more joy. So, for my colleagues, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Rabbi Barry Chester, Chag Sameach and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us.